right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. You got your boy Zage here, of course, joined by my lovely bestie, Bez Hawk, once again. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? So excited. Sorry. Truth is, we... I'm so excited to talk to you for the next hour and a half. <laughs> Truth is, we're recording this at the end because I forgot to record for the first, like, 60 seconds, so I just have to segue us in, but... Fez came on a couple years ago and reminded me recently that when he came on that first time was actually like our first time meeting each other. And since then, he had like a crazy experience changing his perspective and getting beaten down to be able to rise back up from the ashes. I was talking about this with the boys last night, and I didn't really want to tell your story for you. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm flattered that you were talking about me on a different episode of this. They're laughing at Thanks, dude. Likewise. I think everyone, like, when they're growing up, they're, like, 19, 20, whenever they, like, start to learn things. And I was just getting that phase of my life where I was, like, realized what life was. I realized, like, what just, like, consciousness and, like, experiencing life is and, like, living and being able to choose and have autonomy over, like, the things you do and, like, the way you think. The way you think, more like very importantly, we spend time with whatever. So there was definitely like a big switch. Probably both before I went on your podcast originally, call it whatever you want, like spiritual awakening, just like the coming of age moment, like whatever. I started realizing that like I was very powerful. I was more powerful than I thought in terms of like who I am and what I'm capable of doing. And like, I guess really just like my, my, my vision for like of the things around me and of the of the experiences around me and of like the world around me of the realm around me everyone goes through that experience and then i was in a position where like i felt like i was all of a sudden like on a higher plane than them and it sounds like pretension it's kind of like that thing of like i literally saw this meme like today it's this like comic strip of a monk the first side is like ah i've defeated my ego like i've killed my ego and then it's like nothing for two slides and then like the fourth side is like i'm so much better than everyone else because like I've defeated my ego. And so I think that's like what I went through. So I defeated my ego. Then I thought I was better than everyone else for defeating my ego. And now I understand that everyone else is more like me than is different than me. And when I first like had this experience of just like becoming more spiritual, becoming more like called like transcendent, I don't like using the word spiritual as much or like woke or like consciousness or whatever, just cause like, not that it's inaccurate, just because it's, like, thrown around a lot. I like to think of myself, like, as a transcendent person. Not necessarily spiritual, because, like, I also, like, very much appreciate, like, the physical world. I went through this thing. I was like, oh, the world sucks. I'm just trying to transcend. I'm, like, better than this shit. But then I gradually was like, nah, like, this is where I'm from. Like, this is what I know. This is what I enjoy. And so now I'm, like, back around the circle. Like, I've had all those experiences. I can be in certain mind states more than others if I would like to. But I really just, like, I just really just want to be a normal dude and, like, just, like, appreciate other normal dudes. Two questions arise from listening to that. One is, what do you think the positive is in being a normal dude? And secondly, now you think that most people are on, like, the same level playing ground as you, whether it be you coming down or them coming up, however you see it. How do you see that, like, benefiting your life, your relationships with others and stuff like that? I think I realized as much as I wanted to like transcend life and three dimensions and shit, I kind of like sound like an asshole to myself. I sound like a pretentious fuck. And I've been around people who are more just like dive into the whole like esoteric spiritual shit. 
and I was like almost I was like on the edge of that and like I feel like I could have like gone that route but then I just realized like as much as I want to know what is beyond what is like more than this life in this realm I'm gonna get there anyways when I die I know I'm gonna get there I know that there's something else and you can either live your life super disciplined and be spiritual, meditate, be fucking vegan, whatever. Like all these things that spiritual people do. Astrology, fucking crystals, essential oil, like what, whatever. Like and my people, bro, you better chill. That's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Anyways, like, but then I was like, nah, like I just want to enjoy life for like what this is. I want to appreciate this thing that like I wanted to get away from. And learn other, like, learn more about, like, the other side of things. And then I realized, like, wait, like, I'm literally, like, this is what this is for. I have everything after I die to learn about the other shit. So I just didn't want to, not that I think it would be wasting your life for, like, people who do that. For a second, I thought that's what I wanted. And maybe, I like, I will want that at some point in my life. But, like, right now, like, I'm young, I'm learning, like, I'm just trying to, like, learn. I'm trying to dive deeper into just, like, regular world stuff. What is it like to be an individual surviving in this yeah, planet? Yeah, like, I, I like this dimension. I like being a human on Earth. And, like, you can talk shit about Earth. You can talk shit about humans. You can talk shit about America, whatever. Like, whatever this society is. But, like, I'm here, and I've always felt very close to, like, my background and, like, where I'm from. Like, just, like, my life. Who I am. Like, I'm Fez. I'm a human who was born in fucking California, and I live in California, and, like, that's who I am. I do think that the power of perspective is great. That's something that I've grown to realize in my adult life as well, is that you can take two people and give them the exact same experience, and they will not only, like, look at it differently, but also it will affect the way they will grow from it just based on their perspective of that situation. Like one person could look at it like it was the worst thing in the world and one person could be like, well, it was an opportunity to grow. And those two people will experience totally different realities moving forward. So having a moment to come up with a new perspective is almost always valuable. And I don't know what it is exactly about what you were saying to me when we were having that discussion in the KXSC studio, but... I did feel like it was something really important that you went through. And I just really appreciate when people that are close to me are able to like go through some really important moments in their life. I think a lot of people that I was once close with kind of shy away from those kinds of experiences and shy away from being put in an uncomfortable situation and being made to grow from it. And so I think it's really cool that you're able to do that and kind of walk away from it in a better life. Was there a particular moment or series of events that kind of led you to feel like it was time to change this perspective? I don't know. It's never been like an event. It's always been like very gradual. I think I just naturally started to feel a little give in certain parts of my life. Like one example, which is a great example, I guess, to talk is like UFOs, right? You know, I was, I'm like super into UFOs, always have been. And I just got more and more interested in them, like, because of many different reasons. One of them was Tom DeLonge, the Blink-182 guy. He has another company called To The Stars, which is, like, a really weird company that's, like, half music, 
movie production and half like UFO government research. They have contracts with the government and they produce like TV series about UFOs, like whatever. So I was always like drawn to UFOs. Blink-182 has always been like one of my favorite bands. And then like in a weird like coincidence kind of thing, like this singer who is like one of the most influential songwriters of my childhood, Tom DeLonge wrote all the Blink-182 songs and shit just happens to be the guy who like re-sparked like the UFO conversation in America and in the world. And so I was like just up to date on all the UFO stuff a few like three, four years ago, like the government started acknowledging all this stuff and people were saying like, oh, like disclosure is going to happen and disclosure in the UFO community is like the returning of Jesus. Like they talk about this event that's like going to happen. It's going to be when like the government like finally acknowledges UFOs and like whatever, and blah, blah, blah. And there's been a lot of like videos come out I was super in it. I was, like, talking about it on my podcast. I was writing articles about it. I would talk to my parents about it. I'd talk to my brother about it. I would talk to different people about it. It was frustrating. Like, some people were more receptive to it. Some people weren't. And basically, like, I'm telling this whole story because, like, I don't care about, like, being active in the UFO discourse. And, like, I probably two years ago, I was like, I want to, like, help bring this stuff out. I want to help expose this and like i think it's going to be like a big step for humanity and like all this stuff there's crazy stories i don't know how much you know about it but like there's stories from like ancient times all the way up till now military it's a whole zeitgeist right whatever and i've had experiences myself where i've seen ufos i've felt ufos and basically i realized that it's both in terms of my experiences and like what i had read and heard from other people that the phenomenon is, like, much more complex than it seems, I basically realized that it's more of a conscious phenomenon than a physical one. I'll say this. There's two prevailing, like, schools of thought in the UFO community. There's the extraterrestrial hypothesis and there's the interdimensional hypothesis. The extraterrestrial hypothesis is more the traditional one. Flying saucers are coming from other galaxies, other planets with aliens in them coming down, doing whatever they do after that. The interdimensional hypothesis is that they're coming in and out of dimensions. And now there's actually, like, some level of research on, like, the physics of how these things work. And it's like, oh, they create actually a pocket of gravity within our space-time. And it allows them to, like, move with no aerodynamics, no drag. It's essentially time travel. Anyways, so then I was like, damn, like, that's crazy. And then, like, I learned more about the interdimensional hypothesis and, like, more about, like, people's abduction stories, people's encounters with them, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, I combined that, like, with my experiences, what I had seen, what I had felt at certain times. And I realized that, like, oh, this is, like, so much more complicated than I thought. And you have to be open. Like, you, if you start reading and just, like, learning more about UFOs, you will, like, encounter them more. And it's, like, the law of attraction, right? And so, like, that's when it gets tough to talk about. It's because, like, oh, like, the people who see UFOs the most are the people who, like, already know about them and are advocating for their existence, whatever. And so then I got to a point where, like, okay, like, this is really, like, more of a internal like conscious spiritual very introspective experience for me where i've had certain undeniable experiences that like i'll remember for the rest of my life and i realized that's all i need it's not the best use of my time to like just keep researching this stuff and interviewing people and doing podcasts and writing articles in hopes that the government can like vindicate me and then i feel validated like what i'm saying is i already know what I know. I believe what I believe. I don't need the government's validation. And 
we only have so much time on this earth. I want to spend it doing normal human things. I want to spend it just like having a good time, not being too heady, not being too like, I want to change the world, not being too like, I'm special. I have vision. I'm fucking awake, whatever. Right. And then that also combined with just learning more about the U.S. government, other world governments, the CIA other organizations, other societies. And I'm like, there's so many things I want from the U.S. government on a more basic level before <laughs> UFOs. Like, I don't care. Like, that's so like, true. Let's, let's talk about the basics, okay? Like, stop taxing me so much. Fix the fucking roads in L.A. Like, there's a million things that I would rather have the government do than talk about UFOs. I don't care. I know what the government has done. I've read the CIA documents. I know the stories. Like, I don't need some dude to come out in a suit in a press conference and tell me what I already, like, know. I'm not going to spend my time reading about all this weird esoteric conspiracy shit in hopes of, like, saving the world and, like, spreading truth and, like, improving society and getting rid of the lies and the propaganda and the fake news and, like, the hate and, like, making it all love. And, like, I basically, I was, like, a hippie. Well, I don't like the way you use that word. Sounded negative. Yeah, like very anti-authority, like all that stuff. Not not in a negative way. Like I still would like to consider myself a hippie. I won't. Like I won't just because like whatever. But yeah, now I don't care. Like I know what I know. I really just see like my life as an opportunity for me to like just pass the time in the best way I can. Like me having a good time and like learning shit. And, like, helping people around me. Like, that's really it. Maybe I'll get back into, like, the UFO shit, maybe. But now I'm, like, I just want to blend in. I just want to, like, move. I just want to be part of society. Like, I want to just lay low for a little bit. I think there's something to be said about, like, being a part of a community that isn't, like, as, um, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe, like, obsessive. A lot of the UFO community is obsessive. And I was there. Like, looking back on it now, like, I could have become a crazy person. I could have been, like, committed to, like, a, an asylum. But, like, I no longer see myself as, like, a guy who's going to save the world. A totally fair statement to feel. I will say as, like, more or less as, like, a closing statement on this, I feel like you still can be someone who saves the world. There's just smaller pictures. And it reminds me of a conversation I was just having with the boys last night where it's, like, legacy is important to not necessarily everyone, but most people. Legacy is something that we all really seek after. And some people's legacy is devoted to like the creation of something that lasts longer than them and why it relates to that very much. But something that I relate to more is more like my legacy will live on through the people that I've touched. And I don't wanna be some person who sits here and act like I've done some Gandhi work or anything like that. But I do think if you can reflect back when you're, you know, getting older, if you're able to look back and reflect on scenarios you had with people where you were able to, like, provide them a shoulder to cry on or, like, some insight in a tricky situation they were dealing with and stuff like that, those are the microchasms of saving the world. Because at the end of the day, we just need more positive people who are, like, having a positive experience in the world. Because it's really the people who, are, who have the negative perspective, who have the negative experience, who take it on other people and they just make the place worse. That's what it is. I literally wrote this down in my notes app once. And it was something like, make other people's free time better. Make other people's free time better. Like, people have their jobs. People do what they have to do to get by. And then they have, like, the time for themselves. And if everyone just tried to make other people's free time better, that would be good. Totally agree. I do want to talk about your 
work experience. I want to know any like juicy gossip that might be going on. Just kidding. But I do want to know, like, you're working for an agency now and you have been doing the agency thing for a while at this point. But for some people who may not know, describe like exactly what an agency does, maybe like the shortest version. We like field offers. I specifically work in the festivals department. So I and my team, basically, we have relationships with all these festival buyers all over the country and all over the world. And we bring in festival offers for our entire roster, the agency's entire roster of clients. We'll talk to a music festival like Outside Land. We'll get the offer and we'll give that offer to the agent who actually represents the artist. And on a higher scale, like an agent is responsible for getting live bookings for an artist. Anytime you see a concert, like an agent got that for the artist. I still don't know how I feel about the whole idea of agents and everything like that, just on a personal level, but on a professional level, do you think that working for an agency has altered your view of the industry in any capacity? My first job at an agency really turned me off because I was so different than my boss and the type of person he was just not who I ever wanted to be. But I realized he that was him. He's a very successful agent. He has a mixed reputation. But like he's good at what he does. And I realized that he was good at what he does is because he was being himself. He was using his big abrasive personality to do his work. And I didn't like that because like that's not how I wanted to do. Like that's not how, we didn't have a good working relationship because the way I wanted to be managed and taught and mentored was not the way he wanted to do it. And so I kind of found more energy and just like was more optimistic after that. Literally, bro, the next day I hit up one of the HR guys at ICM who like is at WME now, got me an interview literally like two days and then I was hired like a week later. And then you know what happened with the WME thing. I told you, I'll skip that part. Didn't get the job. Kind of like, hey, why don't you, want to, you don't have to name job, we can talk about it. What a crazy ass real life experience. They weren't even that bad. It was when I was in the state of mind that I have shit to say and what I have to say is important. So listen to me. And like, that's what that the whole background check thing that I think I think we also talked about that on my radio show. Like that was a really humbling experience for me because although I knew I wasn't wrong, I like I learned a big lesson. I learned a big lesson. And that's one of the other things that like told me to just like just be chill, like just like get along with people. Don't start shit like do you think some of your tweets are aggro? Like, That's what I'm, like, I know they're not, but like, I needed to have that response to something. That's what I mean. Like, I gained from it. Anyways, they rescinded the offer, so I never got a job at WME. But again, like, that goes back to the point. Like, I then I just hit up my my friend at Wasserman. He re recommended me for a position. I was interviewed the next week. A week after that, I was my first. Like, I was working. And so I was just like, damn, like the agency world has just like embraced me more and Live Nation and Golden Voice, like all those companies just said fuck you to me so many times. So here I am now with a renewed like motivation to be an agent. Now I want to be an agent. Like I want to become an agent. When I was at my first agency job, like I didn't want that. And agents do have like this reputation of like being assholes and being very like I'm worried about you being an agent. There's a lot of different, like, I'll say there's a lot of different types of agents. There's a lot of different types of agents and as many different types of people there are, as many different personalities there are, there are that many different agents. And it is, like, inherently a thing that, like, it does reward you to be aggressive and aggro and, like, it's like an extension of being an artist. It's, like, it's all egos. It's all 
clout. It's all perception. It's all marketing. Some of the most stupid shit that I deal with at working at an agency or being an assistant at an agency, like I work in the festival department. So like all these festival line, there's been so many like festival announces recently, right? All of those lineups, ad mats that you see, all those posters, like go, they send them to us first. They send them like, hey, they send them to me and my boss. They're like, hey, this is our proposed billing lineup. Can we get your approval from your agents, from your artists that like, we're good to like post this. And every agent will be like, oh, I want my artist like up like two spots. Like he has this many more streams. This He has this many more like tickets in that market, blah, blah, blah. Like, and it just like, it's just like takes so much time to like, go back and forth and like we have to go talk to our like internal Wasserman agents and they're like fighting over each other like oh I want fucking this band to be in front of this band because of this and like blah 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 and I'm like this doesn't matter like I love music like I love just like going to shows and throwing shows and like I this shit is so dumb and I'm sure like the artists don't care about it as well the artists like care about it but they don't care about it as much as the agents because it's the agent's job to care about it it'll be funny because there'll be like a there'll be like a great artist like whatever i don't know your who's your favorite artist Wiz so Wiz khalifa right like you love him his artistry like it's done so many things for you like his songs like make you cry whatever it's like a beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful yeah. moment but like the his agent can't be like his agent is not gonna be just fucking high all the time having a good time like yeah. the agent has to like they have to work to get these artists the money they deserve and it's not that like they want to be an asshole like they like and this is like probably an issue with the industry or just like the whole society and like capitalism as a whole like you need to like you have to ask for more money always because, like, they might give it to you, and if you don't ask, then you'll never get it. 100%. And then you're... But it is crazy, because they already make way too much money, I think, for these shows. They make so much money. The bigger artists. The one percenters. But, like, 10% goes to their agent, 20% goes to their management. They got to pay their band. They got to pay the production. Like, they, they're not getting... You know, it'll be like, we'll get a $50,000 offer, and the agent will be like, yeah, like, we just can't... Like, we're losing money doing this day because we got to fly everyone out. We got to pay all these people. So, like, we need to, like, we we need to get at least, like, 60000 for this day to fly out the band to, like, break you for it to even make sense. So it's a lot of that stuff. It's a lot... It's weird because, like, all these agents, like, know the ins and outs of that, and they have to be very... They have to be, like, know how to conduct business. They have to know the markets. They have to know the numbers. But most of them actually, not all of them, but, like, most of them are, like, the ones that I think are, like, good agents. They, like, really care about the music, like, deep down. And, like, they don't always get a chance to talk about it, but sometimes they'll be on a call with a buyer and they'll actually, like, they'll just be real with them and they'll talk to them about, like, how much of this music, how important they think this music is. And, like, that's cool. Like, I think that's sick. Like, when you're trying to, like, close a deal and, like, it's all these egos and it's all this money and it's, like, very cutthroat but at the same time they're the only reason that they signed this client the only reason that like they again like not all agents but a lot of agents like the only reason that they're doing this at all and have a client roster of like 20 30 50 clients is because they care about this music and they want to help this artist and they want to do the legwork for this artist and that's not definitely not always the case it's definitely not always the case but I've definitely seen, even my old boss, like, he he was a, such an asshole. And he was, like, your stereotypical, like, Hollywood agent. But there were definitely times that I saw, like, yeah, he does care. Like, he he went to school. He went to UNT 
and studied jazz. That's like one of the best jazz programs in the country. He was playing trumpet in like Erica Badu's band and shit. And he was a player. And then he started booking his friends. He just realized he had this skill for being an agent and he transitioned into that. And now he's just like booking people who he used to play with and also like newer artists or whatever. So it's definitely like, it's definitely nuanced in that way. And there's a certain like reputation agents have. And there's like the stereotypical one. It's definitely not always the case. And like the way I see it is the reason I do, the reason I want to work in live music, the reason I started throwing shows or whatever is because like I truly think like live music is like magic. And I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like it is tr it is the true definition of magic. Like it is transcendence. Like it it's like my favorite thing in the world. It's the moment when I feel most in control of like my life. And I don't mean when I'm throwing shows or like booking shows. I mean when I'm like in the audience of a show and I'm just like feeling the music and like feeling the vibrations and like the energy around me. Like I feel like I can do anything. I feel like I'm like right where I'm supposed to be and whatever. And everyone has their stories about like going to concerts or whatever, their favorite artists and it's magic. And that's just what it is. That's just like the facts about it. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Obviously you do it closer to the production side, obviously like you're a sound guy, you're like a concert producer whatever you want to call it, all the things you do, like what I do is just like a different part of that. And it's like not, yeah, it's not like, it's not as necessary as like plugging in the mics and shit. But when you get to a certain level, when you have an artist like Frank Ocean, who is like almost unequivocally like the most like revered artist in the world right now who makes really great music that's given like a lot to like so many people and just like is so transcendent and like so simple and like his voice and like his brain and his ideas and his own like mental shortcomings like all of that like everything that makes Frank Ocean a great artist like that's what you need an agent for. That's what you need a management team around him for because he's just some fucking guy. And he, maybe he didn't ask to be the most famous musician in the world or the most, like, infamous or, like, whatever. But somehow he got here to this place. He's just, like, an artist. He just has, like, a natural affinity or, like, calling to make music. And he did it for a little bit, and it fucking blew up. And he did a great job with it. All I'm saying is it took a lot for Frank Ocean to come back and like headline Coachella. And that night when he comes back and performs on that first weekend on Sunday night, and there's like hundreds of thousands of people like watching him, like that is gonna provide like so much like joy and memories and just like pure euphoria to people, including him, I hope, and everyone around him and everyone in the crowd. And, like, that's, like, the pinnacle. That's, like, the situation. Like, you could not have done that without an agent. If it was just Frank Ocean and fucking Paul Tillette trying to get Frank Ocean to come play at his fucking stupid festival in the middle of the desert with a bunch of bitches, he doesn't want to do that. Like, he he needs a shitload of money. He needs multi-million dollars. He needs, like, all this shit to happen. And his agent knows that and knows how to get it done. Well, he also couldn't possibly do both, make the music and sell it. Exactly. He, like, I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know what the fuck he's going. I don't know what he's dealing with. 
I don't know if he wanted to be this famous, but he is. And like, I do think the best thing for everyone is for him to play Coachella and for all these people to see him and be happy. It's not the best for me, bro. I'm having FOMO, bro. I'm actually like already feeling FOMO and depression that everybody's, I can't go. I'm going to be gone. Oh, you're going to be in Japan, huh? Yeah. Why'd you do that? I even texted Kuklich today and I was like, yo, hypothetically, like, would it even be possible for you to change your trip? And he said, no. I knew Frank Ocean would be headlining like a year ago. Like most people did. I didn't know that. Should ask me, bro. Should ask me, bro. I'm an agent. No doubt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but like I actually feel so salty because I do think he will drop that album. I think he's going to drop the album, do the show. Everybody's going to be there and cry together. And I'm going to be in fucking Tokyo jerking my dick with Wyatt and Kukulich. Question is if he ever performs after that. I've seen him before, so it's okay. Oh, okay. You're already in a select few. I know. Well, listen, man, I don't know what to tell you. You could <laughs> not go to Japan and go to Coachella or you can go to Japan. I, I, I feel like maybe a trip to Japan in the grand scheme of your life maybe is getting close to being as memorable as seeing Frank Ocean. It's definitely close. It's definitely a close, it's definitely a close bet. It's not the same, though. God, I want to see Frank so bad. I don't oh. even talk about it anymore. I'm done talking about it. It makes me so sad. I want to ask you something else. I want to ask you about... Because you're an agent, you're also getting access to, like, making deals that other up-and-coming artists aren't able to make, you know, because you're sort of on the inside. But I was talking to Sean recently about he was trying to send the deal to you and Kwame. Yeah. <laughs> and first time he came over, he was talking about, bro, it's the best deal ever. Everybody's going to win. It's going to be so good. And then today he's texting me about, like, oh, my God, thank God they didn't sign this deal. Bro, Sean's an idiot. That deal was so bad. It was a seven-year, 60%, like, they take 40% deal for a 30K advance. I knew, like, his intentions were good. His intentions were always good, but, like, I was never fooled by this deal. Like, this the deal, like, a seven-year term for an independent distro deal is, like, I didn't even know, like, people did that. Like, we were, last deal we were offered was five years. We were trying to bring him down to two or three Five was like the old, like the maximum we would ever consider. Seven years, sixty percent. It's just it was bad, and like we actually talked. I was on the phone with Sean and Kwame and and his, one of his coworkers today, and like his coworker, like his boss, basically like the big boss is the dude who wrote the contract. The little boss, who's the chill one, he was gonna write it, but then like the big boss took over it and just like fucked us. Yeah, no, I knew that deal. Like I, Sean didn't. No one. I wasn't fooled. I liked hearing what you had to say about it because I do think it's interesting that. We all went to school together, so we all became friends, and now we all work in the same industry together. So there is a lot of, like, crossing paths and also conflict of interest. Like, this may have only been one experience you've had so far, but, like, how do you feel about this concept of, like, even Kwame is your friend, and you are working for him. You're working together however you want to see it. And I feel like the whole working intimately with your friends can be complicated. I think it's great that you and Shaw were able to, like, look at this together and be like, this is a joke, and, like, walk away happy. But I feel like some people would not be able to take it that well. Do you have any fear or have you had any experiences of working with friends where it's been weird? It's definitely like a give and take. It's like both sides of the coin. I think it's good to work with friends. I think you can. But you just have to like realize that like you're still, you got to keep your priorities in order. The thing about this deal with Sean is like we were like, okay, we have like our homie is working at a distribution company so he so we can get a deal now which is what happened but the mistake was from the distribution company's perspective who's writing like his boss 
Sean's a, literally he's been working like two months at this company. It's not from their perspective. Like this is an opportunity for us to give an artist a shitty deal because his friend works here and he thinks that he's getting a hookup. What really needs to happen is like Sean needs to like work his way up. Like his boss's boss is probably giving his homies deals, good deals. He's not going to give us a good deal because Sean's been working for two months. He's like bottom of the food chain. And he's like, hey, my fucking roommate and friend, like, they got, they got this good music, like, give him a deal. Like, that, like, from the distribution company's perspective, it's like, oh, they're sitting ducks. They're, like, hungry for a deal, and now they finally have an in at a company. So we got them right where we want them. Let's send them a seven-year, 40% deal. And, like, luckily we were smart enough to, like, realize it was bullshit. But I'm, like, not all people are. Not all people are. I don't hate the idea of working with friends because, like, music specifically is a very relationship-based business industry. You work with your friends, but you also, like, get hired by your friends. There's not an extensive interview process. It's, like, really just, like, a vibe check. And the reason I think it's fine to work with friends is, like, because there's so many personalities, because there's so many, like, we've seen, like, there's so many different cliques in the music industry. Like, there's, like the douchebags, there's like the, there's like the cool guys, there's like the music nerds, there's like whatever you want to call it. I don't know where I fall into that. There's a dirty old hippie, bro. There's <laughs> a fucking hippie. I've definitely come across people that like I don't, wouldn't want to work with as much or like wouldn't be as good working with. And like, I don't get mad at it because like, I just know that there's so many other people who are like-minded enough for me that I can work with them. And there's a lot of, like, working with people because you have a history with them in between, like, promoters and agents. Like, agents will have certain promoters in certain markets. When they're routing a tour, they're going, like, Chicago to New York or whatever. They'll be like, okay, like, Chicago, like, this is my guy in Chicago. Like, this promoter in Chicago, like, has always had my back. He's always given me good deals, always had a good show. He's going to be, like, my go-to guy in Chicago. And you probably know a few people in Chicago, but, like, you might have a first choice, like, out of courtesy, out of respect, out of history, if you're routing a tour, like, I need to get a show at a 300-cap venue in Chicago, like, I'm going to hit out my boy Joe. I do think that's better, though, because there's a difference between, like, um, working with someone that is your friend and then making a friend through work. Because then there's at least this understanding that, like, okay, we're friendly, but, like, hey, we're both in this for the same reason. Try to put on a good show, make a little bit of money. I'll try to be on that level, though, too. One thing I regret from going on tour is I did not make a good enough attempt to, like, maintain relationships with these different promoters. So I think that would be, like, a cool thing to have in my Rolodex. I mean, it's never too, it's never really too late to hit him up or whatever. You're right, you're so right. So I just got to, like, find an excuse to hit him up or it's... fake the accidental, like, run-in or, like, you know, whatever it is. Sure, the nuances. I wouldn't be surprised if almost every deal being made has somebody's intentions in the back of their mind, like, something to gain from it, at least. Because, like you said, there is so much music going around these days and every agency has housed an artist under it and all these different things. So it's, like, I think maintaining those positive relationships is really good. Um, anyway, we should wrap, probably. I want to apologize to you and anybody listening. One thing I neglected to do is I wanted to go back to our previous recording, take some funny clips from it, and then, like, react to them together. Uh, like, when I came here for the first time? Uh... Um, I'm going to start doing that with other guests, and I'll probably just have you back on, and we'll do it cool, again. Yeah, that sounds fun. Ah, it'd be crazy to listen to that again. That was when I had my fake ego death. Fake? Yeah, that's when I thought I was hot shit because I didn't have an ego. <laughs> yeah.
I just remember talking a lot about like spirituality and the aliens and UFOs and stuff like that too at that time. But I didn't think anything you said was out of pocket, and I also felt like we had some good conversations. Well, I know about... you wouldn't, cause you're a fucking crazy hippie dude too. And it's funny that like I was talking about UFOs back then. I was probably talking in a way different light than I was today. But I'm glad. That's I'm glad. what I was reminded is when we were talking about that, cause I was like, damn, this would have been the perfect moment to be like, oh, this is exactly what you said, and we could have reacted to it. That's so funny. No, that Fez, that Fez was valid. He was spitting. He was spitting about the UFOs. Defo, yeah. But now. I don't need to. Nah, it's all good. Yeah, now we have a lot of other cool shit to talk about, I exactly. would say. Um, well, on that, is there anything you have to say as a closing remark? Any advice for the kids out there? Any shout-outs? How you feeling? I don't think I'm going to shout anyone out, except for the Niners. Go Niners. NFC Championship game this Sunday. We taking it. We're playing the Eagles. You know that? My team. Yeah, fuck fuck you. <laughs> we're going to beat down the Eagles, and then we're going to beat down whoever the fuck we're playing in the Super Bowl, and we're going to be Super Bowl champions. They did not. Oh, also, dude, a new hobby that I'm getting into? Beekeeping. How are you getting into I'm gonna that? I'm going to learn beekeeping this semester. <laughs> PSA saved the bees. Uh, bees are just cool. I've been I've been pretty into bees for a little bit, and a friend of mine like used to beekeep back in the day. So I joined the Los Angeles County Beekeepers Association, and I'm gonna start taking monthly classes starting in February. And maybe one day I'll have my own beehive in the back. I would love that for you. I don't like beekeeping, like for myself personally. I don't like bees. They sting me and they hurt me. I've never been stung by a bee. I think they're all right. Bees are crazy. They are crazy. I know about the telepathy, and I know about the pollen and the honey and all that. shit. You know shit. about the genetic engineering? I don't. Bro, so do you know what a queen bee is? I know what it is. What is it? It's the queen. Right. You know how they look different? A little bit, yeah. Like, you think in your head that they're like a different species? Do you think they're a different species? Uh, I never really thought about this before. Right, never thought about this. what happened. So they're all bees in the hive. All of them are the same. And somehow, they use telepathy to decide. They choose a queen. And at the time, the queen just looks like a normal bee. And all the bees go around the queen, and they throw up. Some shit. Some shit. I don't know what it is. I'll find out. <laughs> Throw it up on the bee, on the queen. And this chemical substance changes the DNA of the bee. Changes the DNA. It grows new organs and becomes the queen bee. Whoa. It changes. They change their DNA, bro. It's genetic engineering done by bee throw up. <laughs> it is crazy. I don't even know why they need to have a queen. That's the other, that's like what's new with me. I'm doing beekeeping. Besides that, just thanks for having me on. My only like words to everyone is just like think harder, be smarter. Think harder and be smarter. Okay. I think that's good advice. On that note, everybody, if you made it this far, I appreciate you. I love you. Hopefully you enjoyed this first installment of Zage's podcast back with a guest. Shout out Gabby again for making the art. You should have Gabby on. Of course. Duh, of course. Gabby is one of my top tier favorite people. Like, it has much to do with her savagery and not giving a fuck about people. But I also think, like, her perspective on life is unique. And I'm sure you feel that way, too. It is very unique. Yeah, yeah. so I really enjoy, like, what she has to say about certain things. She has a good perspective on things. She could be rude, but I love her for that. It doesn't matter to me. I grew up around strong women, so it's whatever. All right, well, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh. yeah. Love a boy, be a little dancing that boulevard. Brody just told me that.
that you're a star. Brody just told me be who you are. I see you, love a boy. You write a poem, you heard they love it. You tell them how like you Robbie Johnson. She say you cute, now you acting awkward. Love a boy, do your little dance on that boulevard. Brody just told me that you're a star. Brody just told me be who you are. I see you, love a boy. You write a poem, you heard they love it. You tell them how like you Robbie Johnson. She say you cute, now you acting awkward. Love a boy, uh, I need a Yeah.